0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Book 11, Chapter 21, Moscow Not Exactly at Its Finest. The final line of the chapter, the crowd overturning carts, crushing each other, crying desperately, shoving, had cleared the bridge and the troops were now moving forward. Um, the reader's new account said, I used to find these types of chapters a bit dull, but now I have grown to enjoy how they set the scene for what is about to happen next. Tol- Tolstoy was a screenwriter before his time. He does do these exposition scenes. Um, yeah, he does set the scene well. It is a bit odd to sometimes how how sometimes the chapters seem very aside from the characters in the book. You know, um, there are whole chapters where we don't really see a main a main character, and it's almost just like a description. Um, but he does do it well. Rye Bread Egg says, My brain totally changed around what you wrote to how I feel. I read, I used to find these chapters a bit dull, but now I have grown to hate them. <laughs> Honestly, do not like these types of chapters at all. In my opinion, this is up there with Tolstoy's ramblings of Russian history that I'm not sure he is correct on. It can be a bit rambly. And um, the real challenge of this book is the epilogues. You know, sometimes a book ends with an epilogue. And everyone always knows the epilogue is very often the worst chapter of the book. Um, But for Tolstoy, he didn't make the epilogue a chapter. He made it a whole book. And actually, I tell a lie, he made it two whole books. There's literally like, I'm going to say 30 chapters of epilogue at the end of this book. And they are difficult to get through and then it ends with the very end of the last epilogue actually has some action from the characters and it's good it leaves on a good note but yeah um, come sort of you know November December when we're so close to the end just be warned a few months early be warned there are some shocking chapters at the end of this book really dry and dull stuff so but we're gonna get through it because you can't stop a book 95% of the way finished especially a book like this where it's such an accomplishment to get to the end. So, we'll get through it. We'll make some kind of fun out of it. That's what we'll do. That'll be our challenge. We'll make it fun in some way to read those epilogues. Now we're reading chapter 22. Like this. Meanwhile, the city itself was deserted. There was hardly anyone in the streets. The gates and shops were all closed, only here and there, round the taverns, solitary shouts or drunken songs could be heard. Nobody drove through the streets, and footsteps were rarely heard. The Pavaskaya was quite still and deserted. The huge courtyard of the Rostovs' house was littered with wisps of hay and with dung from the horses, and not a soul was to be seen there. In the great drawing room of the house, which had been left with all it contained, were two people. They were the yard porter, Ignat, and the page boy Mishka. Vasilich's grandson, who had stayed in Moscow with his grandfather—oh, sorry, that is, uh, Mishka—Mishka had opened the clavichord and was strumming on it with one finger. The yard-porter, his arms akimbo, stood, smiling with satisfaction before the large mirror. "'Isn't it fine, hey, Uncle Ignat?' said the boy, suddenly beginning to strike the keyboard with both hands. "'Only fancy.' Answered Ignat, surprised at the broadening grin on his face in the mirror. Impudence, impudence! they heard behind them the voice of Mavra, Ma, sorry, Mavra Kuzminichna, who had entered silently. How he's grinning, that fat mug! Is that what you're here for? Nothing's cleared away down there, and Vasilich is worn out. Just you wait a bit. Ignat left off smiling, adjusted his belt, and went out of the room with meekly downcast eyes. "'Aunt, I did it gently,' said the boy. "'I'll give you something gently, you monkey, you,' cried Mavra Kuzminichna, raising her arm threateningly. "'Go and get the samovar to boil for your grandfather.' Mavra Kuzminichna flicked the dust off the clavichord and closed it, and, with a deep sigh, left the drawing-room and locked its main door." Going out into the yard, she paused to consider where she should go next. To drink tea in the servant's wing with Vasilich, or into the storeroom to put away what still lay about. She heard the sound of quick footsteps in the quiet street. Someone stopped at the gate and the latch rattled as someone tried to open it. Mavra Kuzminichna went to the gate. Who do you want? The Count, Count Ilya Andreevich Rostov. And who are you? An officer. I have to see him came the reply in a pleasant, well-bred Russian voice. Mavra Kuzminichna opened the gate, and an officer of eighteen with the round face of a Rostov entered the yard. They have gone away, sir. Went away yesterday at Vesper time, said Mavra Kuzminichna, cordially. The young officer, standing in the gateway, as if hesitating whether to enter or not, clicked his tongue. "Ah, How annoying, he muttered. I should have come yesterday. What a pity. Meanwhile, Mavra Kuzminichin was attentively and sympathetically examining the familiar Rostov features of the young man's face, his tattered coat and trodden-down boots. "'What did you want to see the Count for?' she asked. "'Oh, well, it can't be helped,' said he, in a tone of vexation, and placed his hand on the gate, as if to leave. He again paused in indecision. "'You see,' he suddenly said, "'I'm a kinsman of the Counts, and he has been very kind to me, as you see.' He glanced with an amused air and good-natured smile at his coat and boots. My things are worn out and I have no money, so I was going to ask the Count. Mavra Kuzminichna did not let him finish. Just wait a minute, sir, one little moment, said she. As soon as the officer let go of the gate handle, she turned and, hurrying away on her old legs, went through the backyard to the servants' quarters. While Mavra Kuzminichna was running to her room, the officer walked about the yard, gazing at his worn-out boots with lowered head, and a faint smile on his lips. What a pity I've missed uncle. What a nice old woman. Where has she run off to? And how am I to find the nearest way to overtake my regiment, which must by now be getting near the Rogovsky gate, thought he. Just then Mavra Kuzminichna appeared from behind the corner of the house with a frightened yet resolute look, carrying a rolled-up check kerchief in her hand. While still a few steps from the officer, she unfolded the kerchief and took out of it a white twenty-five rouble, a signat, and hastily handed it to him. If His Excellency had been at home as a kinsman, he would, of course, but it is. Mavra grew abashed and confused. The officer did not decline, but took the note quietly and thanked her. If the Count had been at home, Mavra went on apologetically, Christ be with you, sir. May God preserve you, she said Bowing as she saw him out, swaying his head and smiling as if amused at himself, the officer ran almost at a trot through the deserted streets toward the Yalza Bridge to overtake his regiment. But Mavra Kuzminichna stood at the closed gate for some time with moist eyes, pensively swaying her head, and feeling an unexpected flow of motherly tenderness and pity for the unknown young officer. All right, there we go. What's young Rostov up to there? Why did you give him money? I'm a little bit confused. Let's clear that up in the comments for today's chapter and uh, figure it out for tomorrow's episode. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you tomorrow.